This is the King Chasing Podcast, where we keep Christ at the center of athletics. Here's your host, Brandon Gilmore. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm Brandon, and this is the King Chasing Podcast. As always, thanks for joining us, and please make sure to visit our website at thenccaa.org for more King Chasing content. Well, today's guest is Tom Roy, the former president and founder of Unlimited Potential and author of Shepherd Coach. Tom has been involved with the game of baseball for over 50 years. He played briefly in the San Francisco Giants organization. He's coached at the high school and college level, including NCCA members Grace College and Huntington College, now University. He spent close to 15 years as a scout in Major League Baseball for the Phillies, Braves, and Padres, and was a team chaplain for the White Sox. Tom also served as the chaplain at the NCCAA Baseball World Series for 28 years. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tom. Well, hey, Tom, welcome to King Chasing. How are you today, sir? Brandon, I'm doing well. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to be on board with you. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you today. Um, now, I know you've been around the game of baseball uh, in many different capacities throughout your career, uh, including uh, player, coach, scout, chaplain, author. There's probably more roles that I'm missing. Um, but what made you fall in love with baseball? Well, as a young kid, my dad took me to then a Milwaukee Brewers game, and uh, I've used this before, but he had his theory. So we started out in the upper deck. First game I ever went to, as high as you could get at County Stadium. And the first player we walked in a little late I saw was Frank Howard, who was about 6'8", 250-pound uh, slugging first baseman. Well, from where I sat, he looked about an inch high, but anyway... <laughs> the first pitch I ever saw, he hit out of the park. And I'm like, this, and I heard all the people. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Uh, I fell in love with baseball then, not knowing a whole lot about it. And then, you know, wiffle ball in the backyard and following the Milwaukee Braves back then on a transistor radio, it just grew and grew on me. And then it became more of a, um, really at some point, a passion to teach the game properly. Uh, so that's kind of the, the history of my background in it. Now, you've previously said that Norm Wilhelmy, uh, one of the founders of the NCCAA, was the most influential coach in your life. Uh, can you just speak into that a little bit and what you learned from Norm? Yeah, there were a couple others that uh, helped me. I, I became a follower of Christ uh, after I was released from pro baseball and found myself at Grace College. Now, Norm wasn't there. There was a guy named Chet Kammerer, who was the basketball baseball coach, and uh, professors there that I had not seen how, I mean, it was modeled to me what it should look like, meaning real stuff. You know, I saw him in every kind of mode, right? But I kind of fell into a, well, I better be pretty churchy, not because of them, but just because of my insecurity being a brand new believer. Well, when I met Norm, <laughs> Norm allowed me to be me because Norm loved being Norm. And he had a sense of humor. He was a college coach. Uh, he was an entrepreneur. 
He was uh, kind to me. He was not kind to a lot of people. No, he was kind. He just had a great <laughs> sense of humor and a way of messing with people. And I absolutely loved it. And uh, he, for some reason, allowed me to be a sidekick with him. And we did a tournament for baseball down in Florida. He really did it, invited me in, and I did it with him for many, many years. And just had then modeled to me what it looked like to not only be a coach, but to be real and to deal with issues honestly, uh, instead of just saying, well, this is how you're supposed to do it. And, you know, the scripture talks about that uh, God's not offended by our having questions, but being realistic. And I, I got that from Norm. You know, he would question stuff like, why? You know, and um, yeah, he became very close. And I had the honor he requested in his will for me to do his funeral and did that in Montreat. So miss him a lot, but I have to give Jesus and he a lot of credit for and some people may say the wise guy that I am, but I think that that I, I at some level am uh, being partially norm because I really thought that was cool. I hadn't met many men that had the freedom that he had within his faith. Yeah, that was going to be my question of what did you learn more from norm baseball uh, leadership or that sense of humor? Is that is that where that came from for you? Definitely not baseball. He would tell me out. He coached at the King's College and would forget the signs by the second inning. So he'd be <laughs> out there doing this for a steal and this for a bunt. Definitely not the baseball. Yeah. The organization, the reality of the deep uh, faith that he had that was expressed in honesty, uh, the laughing, uh, the crazy things he would come up with that were not ungodly at all, but just adventuresome. I, I think I learned a lot of that from him. And as you know, Brandon, uh, I've traveled a lot. And I think that uh, although he had not traveled a lot, he gave me the, um, the ability, the courage, the whatever, along with Jesus to say, come on, you know, Normandy, get out there. Let's do it. Let's go. That kind of a, and any of you know Norm, know that's the tone of voice <laughs> that he yeah. used. <laughs> yeah. Is it important for coaches to have a mentor, somebody like a Norm, uh, or someone that they can just always go to and rely on for advice during their career? Yeah, as part of my shepherd coach thing, I tell them they need a, um, a mentor, a model, and a grace giver. And really, Norm was all three of those for me. Um, Norm was not a theologian, so I had other people that, you know, you can read books and do all that, take classes and sit under some great uh, theologians, but he had skin on his theology. And so, yes, definitely. In fact, I just put something out yesterday asking ADs in particular um, for their coaches. Who are they hanging out with? You know, who is the mentor for the coaches? We often think of the players, which is really, really important. But the coaches and assistant coaches uh, need mentoring also. None of us have graduated. We're all in process. And so one of the things at age 72 that I'm finding hard is to find that mentor because they're no longer out there, you know. And as a retired guy, kind of, I still move around a lot. But uh, I don't have contact with as many people. So I've kind of settled in locally to find that person. But definitely, Brandon, you need that. Yeah. 
72, man. You don't look a day past 50 is all I'm going to say. <laughs> a day past 74, Mike. No, no. <laughs> uh, well, this you, little mark on my head here is a beauty mark. Uh, I tell people I'm playing Goliath in a play, but honestly, <laughs> I just had a little surgery there. So yeah. I, broke, I wore the red so it would really accentuate that I've got there a head go. wound. There you go. <laughs> Now, you had coaching stints at Grace College as the pitching coach in the 70s. You were the head coach in the 80s, and then you returned as co-head coach in 2019. That's yeah. um, quite the, the gap of years, and I'm curious, uh, how have student athletes changed from the 70s when you first started to today? Well, first of all, I'm too old to remember the 70s. <laughs> uh, I kid about that, but I, I don't know if they've changed that much. Other than physically, there is more individual training now than there would have been back then. So a pitcher might have more uh, exercises to develop inner muscle strength, and uh, there are all kinds of mental attitude kind of things you can go to. But the athletes themselves, so so having said that, uh, the Christian colleges, which tend to be anything from D2 down to NAIA, not the top athletes in the world, but really good athletes, um, they're still getting good players, but some are moderate players, some are very competitive, some are moderately competitive. I think that that's still the same, depends on recruiting and who falls your way and God's sovereignty, who you get. Um, but in terms of the athletes themselves, a lot of that, I think, is predicated by their parents, you know, what commitment they have, if they're playing out their kids' dreams, or if they're saying, be softer on my child or harder. And uh, quite honestly, back in the 70s, when I coached, I didn't have as much interaction with the parents as I've had recently. Um, but the other thing is social media you know, on the players, the the parents, I mean, things are out there all over the place, right? Yep. And so depending on what they listen to, and uh, I remember, again, three years ago at Grace, and I don't know what it's like now, but there was a video game called Fortnite that I would, you know, walk down the bench and see some guy tired and then hear from someone else, well, he was playing till three in the morning, Fortnite. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, man, why are we here? Yeah. So... And, and I think the other dynamic, and actually I wrote a book with uh, Norm about uh, the bench, uh, that's an interesting uh, group of people because as you ask that question, I think every kid wanted to play from the 70s till now, but now there's almost this expectation I should play. And you mm -hmm. can't play when you have 30 on your team, you can't play them all. And so how do they handle the bench? Uh, that's been an interesting study, which I never did back then. You know, I just said, hey, you're not playing or you right. are. Plus, we only had 17 or 15 kids on the team with 30, 35 now. It's a different animal. Yeah. Now, as you progress through your career, did your ministry and faith integration strategies have to change? Well, I, I wish I could tell you I was so strong in my faith in the 70s, but I, I was a fairly new believer. And so there's a saying that uh, are you gripping the ball or is the ball gripping you? Mm -hmm. And so the ball was gripping me. I wanted to win. I wanted to build a resume. I was a young man as a coach at a college level, and I had these aspirations, right? So I, I identify with a lot of young coaches, assistant coaches that are trying to build their way up. 
And so I basically followed what I was taught, have a prayer maybe before the game, maybe after the game, uh, have a devotion occasionally. And definitely God got a hold of my heart, um, probably more so after my first stint with coaching. Now, I always enjoyed evangelism. And so I would love talking to guys who were young in their faith. Even back when I was a young believer, I was so excited about Jesus. But in terms of making disciples, that was not in my vocabulary. Having spent almost 40 years with major league players and with a ministry called Unlimited Potential, uh, we still did evangelism, but a lot of it was to disciple them. So now, in particular, when I took that reign three years ago at, at Grace, again, co-head coach, and uh, with Shepherd Coach, it's a passion. But I, I, I cannot tell you that it was like that in the beginning. And I think that's why God's put this on my heart. There are a lot of good men and women out there in coaching that are Christians. But to be able to take that from the classroom, from the church pew, into the locker room, and onto the field, that's a whole different animal. So a long answer to like all of us in our faith, it's progress, you know, progresses as we give up our independence and our sense of we have to be in control and then redefining a win. You know, yeah. to me, it was just the scoreboard. Now it's and I've seen the fruit of it. These are young men, in my case, coaching men who are going to have lives. Are they going to be productive for the kingdom or just bring them a lot of good income as a result of being a college grad? What advice do you have for coaches today uh, as they try to integrate faith uh, within their team? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that's really important is that the, the players don't just see it as an add-on. In other words, I'm a coach. Oh, we're going to do a devotional. But that they see it in every activity of your life, that they just did it. And again, that has to come from quiet time with the Lord. All the things that we have learned as believers and we teach as coaches about discipline. You know, if you miss batting practice for four, if you took BP one day a week, what would you look like in the game, right? And uh, so it goes back to saying, you know what, I need to have such a private life with Jesus that it can't help but come out of my pores. And so when I make a mistake, and I will, Am I humble enough to say, guys, I need to ask for your forgiveness there. I shouldn't have said or done what I just did. So I think that it has to be something that comes out in a philosophy. And I'm finding a number of coaches that I've dealt with, with my shepherd coach certification. The first, one of the first things we do is come up with what is your philosophy of coaching and where does Jesus come into that and how does that, uh, manifest itself? And so my, my, um, my look at it now is what I call SROI, spiritual return on investment. Uh, and so I think that there's a, um, a great need uh, if men and women are humble enough to look at it, to be able to say, you know what, I want to have a ministry with my team, not just to say we do a prayer before the game or maybe a Bible study occasionally, but that because it's so much part of my life as a coach, that these kids not only are going to learn in studies, but a lot of things are caught rather than taught. And that's been my life too. And I don't know if that's just the athlete, but a lot of it's caught. And uh, those, those rides to a game, uh, the bus trips down south for us guys in the north, the uh, eating meals together, 
the off season, all of that, that it's not part of only a program, but it's a, it's at the very center of everything you do. Yeah. That's great. Now you've mentioned your book, shepherd coach uh, a couple times in this interview um, previously you've said that the main focus of that book is the idea that there are men out there who are christians that coach but are they christian coaches right what do you mean by that well kind of like we just talked about that uh i've met some really good men in baseball at this point i don't know any females at the christian college level that are coaching baseball i do at the professional level a couple of them but uh really good men that are disciplined that are bringing values to these players that they may not get anywhere else and like billy graham said and again i may misquote i won't quote it but i'll paraphrase that a coach will have more ministry in a year than uh, anyone else maybe does in a lifetime. It's just what kind of ministry is that? Mm -hmm. And so the focus of the Shepherd Coach book, it's really a workbook, is to have the coach go through this to try to put his philosophy down initially, and then how does that play out? And maybe the greatest compliment I've had of the book was a coach that had coached over 40 years saying, I wish I'd have had this in the beginning. And that now that I've filled it out, because it is a workbook, the format is larger, uh, there's place to write your thoughts. He said, now that I've written it out, it's my book. And he said, if I were a coach, I'd review it every year. And I never forgot that because most books you read and, you know, I, you can see I have a bunch of them back here. I've read some of them, not all of them, but some of them. But if a coach would be able to revisit it, it's kind of a strategic plan and it's kind of what spring training is to the athlete to say, wait, I want to get my heart right uh, before I start my season and even during my season. So I think that's what the book brings to the party for coaches at any level from little league to professional. How can our listeners learn more uh, and even become a shepherd coach themselves? Well, shepherdcoachnetwork.com is my website. Um, it needs a little work. I'm not uh, technically uh, one of those guys that can go in there and fix it, but it's, a, it's good enough to at least get an idea of where I am. But I'm willing to give my personal email is troy, T-R-O-Y, at U-P as in Paul, I.org. That's the organization I founded prior to Shepherd Coach. And um, I would be glad to talk uh, to coaches, to athletic directors about how I might come in and either be on campus and or uh, do Zoom meetings. In fact, the course is one-on-one -on -one with coaches for eight weeks uh, of teaching like this, like you and I are right here, so that we can be very personable. And then one year of access to me after that, uh, they can text or email me at any time because the reality is like anything else. You learn something maybe in a classroom, but then the application, and then you don't learn everything in the classroom. So I want to just make myself available to them. So those would be two ways, the website and my email. Okay. Now I got, I got one last question for you. All right. Uh, I know you're a big Packers fan. Uh, you mentioned before we got started your disappointment <laughs> in not having uh, any Packers memorabilia behind you on screen, but uh, how far do you think the Packers can go this coming year? I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I, I get that 
I'll say question told to me or asked to me in various ways in light of Aaron Rodgers, in light of Devontae Adams, in light of da 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 da. Um, it's very interesting. The Packers were seven and zero last year, or seven and zero when Devontae didn't play the past mm. three years. So they can win without him. And uh, I'm going to say this, it's going to be on camera, but I think the fans were like, big deal, we won the division. Or what are we going to do in the playoffs? Because, you know, the Packers have done pretty well in their division. I think this brings a new excitement to say, is it Rodgers or is it the receivers? I think that the coaching staff has some tricks up their sleeve because they have pretty good backs and a really good tight end that didn't play last year, who the year before scored 13 touchdowns. I'm really excited about the season. How will they do? I don't know. But it doesn't hurt to have whatever you think about them, to have Aaron Rodgers holding the ball. Now, if he gets hurt, oh, well, <laughs> you want to buy my tickets? <laughs> yeah, maybe next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cubs fans. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be fun to watch to see how that plays out. But yeah. that's all the time we have today. Uh, but thank you, Tom, for joining us on King Chasing. Let me just say, I love the NCCAA. Keep doing it, Brandon, and all you folks there in the front office. Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. Well, thanks again to Tom for sharing some insight into the most influential coach in his life, changes he experienced from the 1970s to now, and what it means to be a shepherd coach. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the King Chasing Podcast on whatever app you use to listen. We would also appreciate it if you encouraged others to listen and subscribe. Once again, we're thankful to you for tuning in and supporting us. Join us next time on King Chasing. Take care, everyone.